This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvest of Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. you got your host here, Justin Townsend, and, and I'm excited. Uh, today we have a special guest, and uh, John actually reached out to us uh, with a proposed topic, and uh, really, really excited that he reached out because it's been a topic that I've wanted to talk about for a while, and that is having to do with uh, shot placement to save meat. Uh, and, you know, as, as hunters who are always uh, trying to find better ways to be more productive and bring home more meat, I mean, this is a very, very, very relevant topic. So uh, I'm excited to chat about that today. And we're going to go into it a little more. We're going to talk about the shot placement. We're going to talk about ammo. We're going to go through some, I'm sure, some scenarios and, and really uh, pick John's brain about the, the whole thing. So excited for that. But first, I'm going to give you guys a quick update on kind of what's been going on because it's been a little while since we recorded the last podcast uh, that we released, excluding an Adventures for Food, was uh, with our pig camp, which I'm happy to say we've we've rescheduled another one in December. So December 8th through the 11th, uh, that one's live up on the website. You can sign up for that and come join us down in Texas for a a four-night, three-day camp and do the whole like shooting, uh, hunting, butchering, processing, cooking experience with wild pigs down in Texas. Super fun. We uh, we had uh, nine folks join us last time. Uh, if you roll back two podcast episodes from this one, you'll be able to listen to that and get their full perspective and the full experience. Uh, we did a live podcast there, so really dive into a lot of the details. So I'll save you from that. Listen to it if you get a chance. Uh, it was great overall experience. In addition to that, we're finalizing our fly fishing camp, which should be released. Uh, excuse me, it should be released as you're listening to this podcast, and that's going to be at the end of July up in Missoula, Montana. So kind of same concept, very food focused, but um, looking more towards like learning how to cast a fly, learning how to fly fish, ten car rods. Uh, rod and reel, get out on the river, identifying fish species, we're going to talk conservation, we're going to teach some fly, tying, all these great things up there in Montana, uh, staying at the beautiful Teller Wildlife Reserve, which is a great place there, we've got a couple houses rented on their property, and a really unique spot to uh, to uh, be able to fish, not everybody gets access to it, so that's a 
cool thing too. And then uh, working on our summer issue for our magazine. So that'll be out uh, first week in July. And prior to that, our spring issue is still available. So it's available electronic or print on demand. You can hop in uh, on our website and access that pretty easily. It's right there on the homepage if you want to subscribe and flip through those pages. So real, real inexpensive, 10 bucks for a subscription or $5 if you want to subscribe just to or I guess purchase one individual issue and then in addition to that you can uh you can get the print on demand which is about 20 bucks if you want to have it living on the coffee table or flip through it or show your friends any of that stuff super cool magazine excited for the summer one very uh fish focused some foraging some spear fishing lots of cool stuff we were just working on the lineup last night uh so I'm excited to see that come into fruition and then uh, me, myself, my last bit of news is uh, since since we last recorded a, a live show here out of Denver, uh, I was up at the BHA Rendezvous up in Missoula, Montana, had a blast, cooked the field to table dinner, cooked up a delicious uh, wild pork green chili with some of the pig from down in Texas, served that up, everybody enjoyed it, um, it was a really great experience, did the cooking competition. Uh, with Adam Steele, we represented the Armed Forces Initiative of, of BHA and uh, took third place. So we're back-to-back bronze champions, uh, third place two years in a row. Um, but it, it, it was a, a great experience. John, you may appreciate this. So we cooked uh, we cooked SOS, shit on a shingle, with uh, some <laughs> antelope. And uh, then we made this this stew called Slum Gillian Stew, which is like a World War One trench stew. And we put rattlesnake, rabbit, um, diver duck, pepperoni, and uh, snipe in it and served that up. It was just like a real like smorgasbord of, of meats in, in that stew. But uh, it, it, it was fun. Well, if you guys won third place for that, sounds like it was better than uh, the SOS a lot of us are used to having over the years then. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. It is. It, it was pretty good. Uh, I actually used, so back mm, probably two years ago, I wrote a, a the recipe, an SOS recipe for Meat Eater, and uh, used that, that recipe as the basis for our uh, our uh, our entry into that, so pretty good stuff, so. Super excited. It's always fun, and you get to interact at the rendezvous with uh, like-minded folks, which is good. uh, um, Which is good. Just be there Mm -hmm. in the moment. So, cool. Well, uh, I think that's all I got. Let me read your intro here. So, uh, our guest grew up in East Texas, hunting with his father and grandfather, starting when he was just three years old. He graduated from the United States Military Academy at West Point and served in the U.S. Army for over 10 years. He later created the Big Game Hunting blog and the Big Game Hunting podcast as a resource to give average hunters the straight scoop to help them make the most of their time afield. John McAdams, welcome to the Wild Fishing Game podcast. Thanks a lot for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, super excited. Like I mentioned earlier, I'm glad you reached out. Uh, it's been something I wanted to talk about for a long time, so this is like the perfect opportunity for us to uh, to dive into this. But first, like, can you tell us a little bit about your your origin story? How you got into hunting? You know, uh, your your time in the army. If you hunted there uh, while you were out and about, and and kind of what all that looked like. Yeah, definitely. So I live out in East Texas now, and um, it's funny, I, I didn't grow up here. I, I grew up down in the Houston area like we were talking about, but I, I grew up hunting out here. And so this is where most of my kind of formative uh, hunting experiences were as a young man. Then I went to college, and uh, I did a, a good deal of deer hunting when I was up in New York, up at West Point. There was some pretty good uh, deer mm-hmm. hunting up there. And um, when we were getting ready to graduate, um, they let you... Once you get assigned your branch, uh, they put everyone from each branch in a room and you pick your duty assignment. You pick, it's called posting night. And so they have a, a big PowerPoint presentation set up with, okay, there's this many slots at Fort Lewis and Washington, this many spots in Germany. And the number one ranked guy in the room with the best grades gets to choose first and they take it off of there and it just kind of goes down the list. And it's kind oh, of, wow. you know, for, for, yes, yeah, so it was, it was quite an event for a bigger branch like mine. I branched armor. And, uh, so we knew what all the slots were going into this and I knew where I stood in the branch 
and I could kind of figure out, okay, you know, some of these are probably not going to be available, but I'll probably have most of these other ones. And so I was looking at things and Fort Stewart, Georgia was one of the options um, that I was considering going to anyway. And so I was looking at the lifestyle there and I was like, oh man, they have a three month long deer season and you can shoot 12 deer a year in Georgia. You can shoot two, two, uh, two bucks and 10 does all season combines there and hunt from oh, wow. October through the end of, um, uh, January. And then you can hunt hogs all year long. And I was like, man, this really sounds like my kind of place. And so that's where I went for my first duty assignment. I was okay. there for, for three years, uh, did a lot of hunting there, spent a year in Iraq, uh, when I was, um, uh, stationed there. Then went to Fort Benning for the career course, same deal there. It's also in Georgia, a little bit different terrain, but uh, the same general idea. So I did a lot of hunting there. Then I went up to Fort Lewis and uh, I was uh, ended up working on staff and I was a cavalry troop commander there, deployed to Afghanistan. Uh, but hunting in Washington was also amazing, but it was a completely different experience from what I was used to in Texas, uh, Georgia, New York. I did a little bit of hunting when I was at Fort Knox in Kentucky as well. Uh, going from that Eastern mindset to the Western way of doing things, which kind of how they did it in Washington was, was very completely different from what I was used to. You know, you pick, you pick the one season that you're going to hunt in and you can shoot one deer, uh, but you could also hunt bear and elk and things like that there that were uh, very exotic species to me that had never gotten the chance to hunt before and that sort of thing. I got out of the army there. My wife was still in the army, uh, though we got stationed at uh, Fort Bliss, which is in El Paso, Texas. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it is in Texas, but it is uh, barely in Texas, as, as the joke goes. It's much more aligned culturally, economically, all that stuff with New Mexico and, and Old Mexico than it is with the rest of Texas. But that actually <laughs> gave me a good stepping stone to hunting New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, mm-hmm. Wyoming when I was there. Um, it was it, the same distance drive for me to go to El, from El Paso to Laramie, Wyoming, as it was for me to go to El Paso to Houston, Texas. Uh, so to give you an idea just how darn big Texas is, driving all the way across crazy. New Mexico, all the way across Colorado to get there. Um, but so I had a lot of good years there. My wife got out of the Army last year, we moved back out to East Texas, and uh, that's where I am now. Nice. Nice. And... Uh How's the how's the hunting these days there in in East Texas? Really good. I had a real good deer season out here. Hunted some um, uh, property that I hunted on as a kid. Um, I sh- I shot a deer on opening day. My I helped my brother in law shoot his first deer uh, this past uh, November on opening day too. So it was really good. My son went out with me for the first time. Uh, so it was it was just all around really good. And the hog hunting there has been uh, great as well this year too. So it's nice to kind of be back into that. The deer aren't real big here but there's a lot of them and, yeah. uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's real close to the house. And so it's hard to beat that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that convenience factors there and it makes it easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so thinking through your travels and kind of where you've, you've gone. So where do you settle in as far as like a, a favorite wild game? Man, you know, I was thinking about that before we went on the show and I've had some real good ones over the years. I've had the opportunity to hunt a lot of different stuff and eat a lot of really good game. But I'll tell you, I was in South Africa about seven years ago and I had kudu schnitzel when I was there and it was just absolutely amazing. Kudu is really good. Just kind of, you just cook it as a steak and then you mm-hmm. get someone that really knows what they're doing to cook a, uh, a little bit different dish like that. And that's just, that was just next level. Man, that sounds delicious. And kudu, that's a uh, what are they? A deer, antelope? I forget. So they're an antelope. They're about the size of an elk. So they're really big. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Oh yeah, good schnitzel. I mean, you can't go wrong with schnitzel. Like anytime mm-hmm. you batter and fry mm-hmm. something, it's a uh, it's pretty tasty. There's definitely the opportunity to uh, to try different things, but it's a classic go to. We did uh, at the pig camp I was talking about earlier. That was one of the featured meals we did. Was like a pork schnitzel and like a like a German potato salad and a purple You're making my cabbage. mouth water just thinking oh, about yeah. it. Well, that's uh, that's it. You got to make sure you eat before the show. And I think yeah. I, made that mis- <laughs> I made that mistake today, so hopefully I don't end up too hungry after our conversations. <laughs> so um, this is always a fun question Corey likes me to ask as we kind of work through the beginnings and get to know each other. What's What do you got in the freezer now, and, and what are you looking forward to cooking next? So – 
I have the remains of my deer from this past deer season, my whitetail, and then I got two different hogs in there as well. Uh, but this, so I moved last year, so my hunting season, it wasn't super exotic last year, but this year I got a good one coming up. I'll be going, as long as I pulled that tag, I'll be going to Colorado for uh, pronghorn. Nice. And then also for bison, which should be really cool. And that's the thing I'm actually looking forward to the most. I'm driving there specifically to bring as much of that meat as I can back from that bison hunt. Holy smokes, bison. And that's um, in in Colorado? or in Colorado, yeah. Mm-hmm. Really? What part of the state are you doing the bison hunt at? It's in, in, the, in the southern part of the state. It's a, okay. it's a private ranch I'll be hunting on. Uh, Got but, it. Uh, but it'll, it'll be cool. And then I uh, also drew a late-season elk tag in Arizona. Uh, okay. So that's what I'll be doing at the end of, um, at the end of November this year. Nice. And uh, for the antelope tag, are you hunting... So I'm guessing antelope eastern side of Colorado. Yeah, south, south, right, right, really like south central, not okay. too far from Trinidad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good spot mm-hmm. for antelope down there. There's a ton. That's awesome. Yeah, I uh, I got out. So I've traditionally hunted Wyoming uh, pretty exclusively for antelope for like the last six, seven years, and then last year I moved I moved out to Denver in July, and so I got out the first uh the first of archery season for antelope and really just kind of like to get a bow in my hand and get moving around out on public land on the the eastern side of the state because they they've got a uh over-the-counter antelope archery tag that's almost the entire eastern part of the state minus a couple units and uh Mm -hmm. just try to get out explore uh it was really good didn't didn't end up taking an antelope but i think this year uh, as a result of last year's mule deer season, I've got some good spots lined up that I'm like, all right, I'm, I've got, I've got my feet under me. And then I plan to head back up this year to, uh, to Wyoming to do antelope again. But I tell you, when we talk about favorite game meats, antelope for me is like, it's at the top of the list. It has been for a while and it, it stills like, it's got such a cool, unique flavor. That is definitely true. You know, I had my first antelope actually on a hunt in Wyoming and, um, yeah, it was great. You know, you hear kind of like mule deer. You hear all sorts of stuff about it, but mm-hmm. uh, the mule deer and the antelope I've had have, have been, you know, really, really good. Not as good as that kudu, but still really darn good, man. <laughs> well, see, and so I'll that's tell you, I got a, sorry, I got go a lot of respect for someone that can uh, go out and, and consistently take an antelope with a bow. Man, that is a tough hunt. <laughs> I, I I won't say consistently. I I've done that uh, more rifle, but man, yeah. uh, if I can if I can get in tune with the the way of the bow. Uh, for antelope, I think it's it's interesting. I you know I tested. You hear folks talk. They've got the decoys you put on the front of your bow. That's like the antelope silhouette and all that stuff for archery. And then you hear people uh, talk about like waving a white flag or t-shirt or game bag or whatever. I I was really curious. And uh, so last year we were in Wyoming and uh, we were hunting rifle antelope up there. And I had a herd like moving in a fair clip you know, uh, probably about 250 yards out and I needed them. I didn't need them. I wanted them a little closer. And so I, I was like, Hey, uh, talking to my buddy, I was like, Hey man, like reach in my pack over there, like pull out one of the game bags. And, uh, he's like, all right, I got the game bag. I was like, all right, take your rifle. Since like, you're not shooting, like stick it on the end of your rifle and just like hold it up and wave it. And sure enough, like the herd came to a stop and the lead doe in the herd like looked over and then they started moving towards us and they closed like, closed like 20, 30 yards. And I was like, all right, cool. Like they cleared the brush that I needed them to clear. And I was like, all right, cool. Good shot. But yeah, it, uh, I I was surprised because I've heard of people doing it, but you know, you, you, you hear a lot of things and, Mm -hmm. uh, it, it actually worked out and I was really surprised and like, and happy. So I think this year I may, uh, I may try to get a little more creative when I'm out archery hunting to see if, you know, those, those types of things work. Well, all right. Yeah. That sounds like a good plan. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. 
And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um. So, uh, as far as we talked a little bit about freezer. So, any any next meals you're looking forward to with the with the deer or pig? You know, the I, I took my my hogs to a local meat processor, and they did a real good job of making me breakfast sausage and um, smoked sausage and you know pork chops and all that stuff. And man, that sausage that they made was just next level. I don't know what the spice blend that they put in it mm-hmm. was, but uh, man, I love it. I wish I would have gotten more of it. I do love I do love a good sausage. There's like uh, especially there's a lot of like little places that have kind of their own seasoning blends, and uh, you can really mm-hmm. doctor it up back. Uh, so speaking of antelope, um, we would travel travel a lot when I lived in Florida up to Wyoming, and so I would take my stuff to the processor because they could put a hard freeze on it. They get everything done in the time we were there, and I could easily like take it back on the plane with me. But um, they had a, a pretty good like breakfast blend that matched fairly well with the antelope. Like in the end, you needed to doctor it up a little bit with some salt, but it, it's always neat to find those like little places where people have their like niche spice blends and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, about the, the big game hunting blog and podcast. So, uh, as you, you got out of the army and started working on those projects, like what, what was kind of the main motivator behind it? Sort of. Yeah, I actually started the blog in 2012 when I was deployed to Afghanistan. So I was still in the Army. And I Whoa. used I, it was just something I did uh, kind of in a little bit of free time that I had there as sure. a uh, way to kind of something to do, stay sane while I was over there. And I would just kind of tell hunting stories and whatnot. And then I started, I continued to do that. And then I transitioned a little bit into things I'd lessons learned and tips and tricks and things like that. And it, it just kind of snowballed on me, uh, over the years as I started to connect with people, my audience started to grow. And, um, you know, one of the things that I did a lot, what I still do it, but I did it a lot more then was I would spend a lot of time on hunting forums and whatnot. And, mm-hmm. um, it was just disgusting to me on the forums and then on social media and whatnot, how people treated each other. You'd have someone go in there and ask a legitimate question. They're a new person trying to get started on either just completely new to hunting or trying to learn something new. And, um, people were just really rude to them. And people I saw were giving them probably bad advice to things that I knew were wrong. Maybe they mm-hmm. were doing that, uh, with good intentions, but you know, you ask someone that doesn't know what they're talking about for advice and they give you bad advice, you know, that sort of thing. And so that sort of thing happened. And, um, I, I was on the receiving end of that a couple of times, and it was really hard for me to kind of get started when I was in Washington, trying to learn hunting in a new place and new way of doing things and all that stuff. And um, I was like, you know, like that wasn't right how I was treated. I hate seeing other people get treated like that. I'm going to try and create a resource that'll be more helpful to other people and, and help them. Uh, in some of those areas that I struggled. And so that's what I did with the blog. And then the podcast followed in 2019. So I'm actually about to do my 200th episode three years here. Oh, nice. Uh, Congrats. Real, real soon. Thank you. That's awesome. Uh, and so it, a lot of the same stuff that I talked about on the blog, I talk about on the podcast. And uh, I bring on other people, too, that know a lot more about different things than I do. You know, I've talked with... Um, uh, Trail Kreitzer from Go Hunt about uh, the ins and outs of uh, drawing tags in a lot of the western states for people that that's new to. Uh, talked with uh, Kevin Robertson about hunting in Africa. Um, Joseph on Benedict about elk hunting, um, moose hunting, caribou hunting, that sort of thing. And uh, it's just turned into a really cool deal um, that um, I'm enjoying it and I've been way more successful doing that than I ever, uh, ever dreamed that I would be. And I get to get to connect with interesting people like you doing that, uh, doing that work as well. Absolutely. I tell you, it's probably one of my favorite parts of the, the podcast world is just getting to chat with 
so many varying types of folks and then you end up like creating a you know a common relationship with them based off of that and then it spurs into you know all kinds of other things and it's a mm-hmm. it, it's just fun um yeah, but definitely. I, I i totally relate to what you're saying sort of into the foundation of a uh, uh, of the big game hunting blog for you is just there there's a there's a ton of resources out there for folks. And then there's like a ton of negative interactions and like mm-hmm. I, d- I did the same thing. So traveling around a lot with the coast guard and, and going down to Florida and trying to kind of figure out the Florida scene there. Luckily I got plugged in with some good folks. When I moved here to Colorado, it was kind of the same thing. I was like, all right, I'll check out the Facebook groups. I'll check out the forums. Like I'll poke around. I'll see what I can see. And man, it's just, I, I watch, and I've gotten to where like I, I'm almost like gun shy to post or ask questions just because of sort of that negative interaction that you mentioned. So many folks that I see, unfortunately, will be like, "Hey, you know, I got a question. Like, I'm new to elk hunting, and I was just wondering, like, hey, what's a good spot? You know, I could go look for elk. I'm not necessarily looking for like your honey hole, but you know, what's a common terrain you see elk? Like, what part of the mountain elevation? Like, people start getting." you know, in a little more detailed question. And, and I think from a person who appreciates like, uh, an educational perspective, it's like, Hey man, you know, this time of year, like you could go check out this elevation area. You could, you know, look for dark timber or, you know, um, whatever draws they may be tucked into or blah, blah, blah. But you'll just hear people. It's like, go Google it or, you know, get out and go find it yourself. You know, just like tons and tons of negative interaction. I'm like, come on, guys. Like, in the hunting community, is that what we really want? Is that the way we want to? Like, this person, you know, I'm sure they would appreciate if you're like, yeah, like, here, let me drop you a pin in Onyx and, like, go here and check out this spot. But, you know, one, elk are super dynamic and they're all over the place, you know, when it comes to elevation and habitat and stuff like that. But two, it's just like, this person's just looking for a little bit of advice. And, uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't set well with me. So I very much appreciate when I hear about folks like you that are like, Hey, I just, I really wanted to put this information out there because I went through this experience and now I, I don't want people to have to go through this experience. So, um, for that, I say thanks. Cause it's, it's awesome. And then um, I was poking around uh, uh, quite a bit on your site over last week and then this week and two, and um, a lot of conversations around ammo and firearms mm-hmm. and caliber. So how did you, as you kind of began your journey with the blog and the podcast, how did you kind of settle in with, with those topic choices? You know, that was a combination of stuff that I found was very interesting myself Mm-hmm. I always enjoyed reading about uh, you know various different cartridges and what they're good for and you know the de- cartridge development over the years and how different things kind of popped up and that and and all that sort of thing uh, and at the same time that was also something that really seemed to resonate with people that were reading my blog I really flailed around there for a little bit um, trying to find something that I enjoyed that I was good at and that people also wanted to read and you'd normally get like two out of those three things there. Then I kind of stumbled onto that one and that really, I found that that was like an itch that really needed to be scratched because you going back to the, the forums and the Facebook groups and all that stuff, you know, you go into one of these and you, right. You, we've all seen it, right? Someone posts in there, Hey, is the 300 win mag good for elk? Or is the yep. six five creed more good for elk? You know, and then just everyone just pounding on this guy from all sides. Use the search function. That cartridge sucks. Use this one instead. Blah 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 blah. And people are fighting with each other in the comments about my my cartridge is better than yours. And um, it was very hard to find just a kind of a straight no baloney. You compare these two cartridges. This is what this one's good for. This is what that one's good for. Here's how they're the same. Here's how they're different. And uh, that's really where uh, I made my money and continued to to really, really kind of struck gold there with the blog. And a lot of the stuff on the podcast is about that. And some of my most successful blog articles have been on different cartridge comparisons. Nice. Yeah, I've uh, I see you got some good. There's definitely in a just kind of perusing the most recent post here so uh 6.8 western versus 6.5 creedmoor versus 270 uh wsm like review and comparison 
best six six five Creedmoor rifles for hunting for twenty twenty two. Like pretty comprehensive stuff. And when you go into it like in more detail, uh I mean some some solid, solid uh solid research and solid presentation here on all these i mean just looking at the six five here like you got a good gambit of recommendations as far as uh various styles of rifle and you know what mm-hmm. you recommend which is pretty good i think this is it's like a, a, a honest like no bs recommendation well i appreciate that that's what i'm trying to provide for people and uh, like I said, it's something that I'm, I'm interested in, and it was something people wanted to uh, to learn more about, so I was happy mm-hmm. to provide it. So where where do you settle whenever we're talking about uh, as far as, like, calibers? What what do you consider? So thinking through, we'll, we'll talk East Texas, Whitetail, Wild Pig. Where's, mm-hmm. where's, your, where's your gauge, or where do you like most? You know, so, yeah, so, like, out here for those animals that you're talking about um, – you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that will work and it's, it's a matter of what else you want to do. Cause when mm-hmm. I lived in El Paso, that was much more open country, longer shots were more common. And so I hunted almost exclusively with the 300 wind mag out there. And that was great, uh, for every, everything that I needed to hunt. And, uh, you could absolutely hunt with a 300 wind mag in East Texas, but you know, it's, the ammo's more expensive. It recoils more. And as we'll talk more in a minute, you're running the risk of more meat damage than is necessary with it. And so for that reason, I haven't used it so much out here. And so I've stepped down to a 308, which is works, mm-hmm. works great. A 6.5 Creedmoor, honestly, this is perfect for a 6.5 Creedmoor out here for those animals and for the shorter range situations like this. That is what I use. 30 out 6 is great. 243, 7mm, 08, stuff in that range, I think is just absolutely ideal for, you know, say 200 yards and in deer and hogs like I'm dealing with sure. here. And so what do you, whenever you're, you're transitioning out West more, say you're, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say antelope and elk cause those are two varying like mm-hmm. species, but let's say antelope, like you could definitely get some longer shots at antelope and, and, mm-hmm. you know, smaller bodied animal, more, more chance for meat loss. What's where are your thoughts there? You know, I think that's one of those areas where uh, the 6.5 Creedmoor is still really good for that sort of thing. The 6.5 mm-hmm. PRC, you know, you get a little bit more velocity with that same bullet, and so it would work uh, also pretty good. Um, I have not decided what I'm going to use on my antelope hunt this fall. Um, my two previous antelope I both shot with a 300 Win Mag. Works great with both of them. Um, uh, maybe the six five Creedmoor this fall. I I have a twenty seven Nosler um, that I'm going to use. It's just a matter of uh, what I'm going to use it on. That's not necessarily something I'd recommend for the uh, for the run of the mill guy. That's a more specialized uh, cartridge though. Sure. But really, you know, maybe the kind of two seventy is, is almost perfect uh, for for that sort of hunting for the smaller ish animals like that deer, antelope at, at longer range. So. Um, you know, kind of, that's one of those things too, where if you got a 30 out six, uh, you could do just about all of this stuff really well. Um, yeah. and, and, and this is a debate that we're constantly having on my podcast <laughs> and in my articles and that sort of thing. So we could talk about this for about three hours tonight if you wanted to. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Yep. It, it, uh, totally agree. Um, I've settled, so I'm, well, not settled. I'm, I've been using for a while. Uh, I, I picked up a 308. A uh, number of years ago, and that's just kind of what I've been rolling with. It's it's suited well. Uh, I think this year I may step it up and go. I've been strongly looking into the six five, but I haven't quite made up my mind yet for kind of a good all around gun. But we'll, we'll I love the three hundred eight. I killed my first couple deer with it, and then like I said, I got away with it, got away from it for a while, and I thought about selling that rifle, and I didn't. And I'm glad I held on to it, and I still have it here. My my brother in law shot his deer with it this past year. Um, and I've done, you know, a bit of hunting with it myself and ammo is really easy to get for it these mm-hmm. days and stuff. And so, um, I think, uh, it works great for a lot of things. I personally wouldn't take it elk hunting. If you're going to take it elk hunting, I think it's real good at, you know, say inside two, 300 yards, mm-hmm. uh, be careful with it, uh, on, on a big animal past that. But other than that, a 308 awesome. Oh yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. So let's uh let let's move into our our meat saving shot placement. Gosh, that's a mouthful. Need to figure yeah. out a way to rephrase that. But let's uh let's let's talk about um and we'll we'll touch base a little more on caliber, uh caliber and and cartridge ammo type. Uh, but 
as far as shot placement and uh when when you when we talked about this initially you're like hey let's chat let's chat about this and i latched onto it um i kind of want to pick your brain and and pretend that i'm i I know nothing so why why is shot placement when you're talking about meat yield so important so that's kind of a, a two factors that we're dealing with here first we want to have good shot placement so that we quickly and cleanly kill the animal we don't want it to run a long way and um uh, maybe lose it or uh, take for take a long time to find it. Um, that r- runs the risk of meat spo- meat loss due to spoilage or just flat out losing the entire animal that way. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it's it's kind of linked to this. But if you uh, don't hit the animal well, say you let's say maybe um, you hit the vitals and you also hit the guts of it as well. Um, you get a lot of that contamination uh, in that way in it too. And so even if the animal doesn't go very far, it can make a mess out of the inside of the animal and potentially ruin some meat. And at the same time, um, this is something I've dealt, I, I'll actually share a story with you here in, in a minute talking about how this can go wrong. But um, you can very quickly and cleanly kill an animal have it drop right in its uh, in its tracks, very easy to find, and ruin a ton of meat on it from uh, damage caused by the bullet hitting the animal. Uh, that, uh, that 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 is just absolutely horrific, and we'll go into the details on this. But that is very frustrating uh, when that happens. I shot a mule deer in New Mexico a couple years ago with my 300 Win Mag, um, using a light, very fast bullet, and he was standing slightly quartering uh, to me, almost broadside, but not quite. And um, I did not have a super steady rest. I pulled my shot a little bit when I squeezed the trigger, and I hit him straight through both shoulders, and he just dropped in his tracks. And um, my bullet hit his near side shoulder blade and just shattered that uh, shoulder blade, went everywhere. And then the bullet and the fragments from that uh, shoulder blade destroyed that that shoulder and most of the one on the other side. And so, uh, he was easy to find, did not hit the guts on him. And you can't ask for a faster kill than that, but I lost almost all the meat on both shoulders. I was able to salvage some of it, but you know, it was, it was one of these things that was not where I was aiming, uh, to kill him uh, or to hit him, but, uh, but it made a mess. And I was like, golly, this is, that was a good example. My first experience of, of the of a of the three hundred wind mag ruining a bunch of meat like that, and so there's really four factors that go into um, meat loss or meat preservation, however you want to look at it. The first is where the bullet actually hits, and uh, the second is the uh, bullet velocity, and related to the bullet velocity is the um, bullet weight and bullet construction. And then um, what the bullet is made out of, and so we'll talk about all these here in in a second. But when a, when a bullet hits an animal, um, especially if it is an expanding type bullet, like al- almost all hunters use uh, these days, it's going to um, mushroom and or fragment depending on the type of uh, bullet that you're using here. And if it's, uh, say, a lead core bullet that fragments, you're going to have tiny pieces of the bullet that kind of go out and radiate in all directions as it passes through the animal while the front of that bullet mushrooms and and expands in size. And it's going to transfer energy to the animal and make a permanent wound cavity and, depending on how fast it's going, a temporary wound cavity as well. That permanent wound cavity is everything that actually touches the bullet itself. So... Uh, as it gets bigger, say you shoot with a 30 caliber bullet that expands to twice its uh, diameter, you're going to have a uh, 0.6 inch or approximately a projectile going through this animal that's destroying everything that it touches, plus everything, you know, depending how fast it's going, the bullet construction, that sort of thing, um, a little bit bigger around that area as well. And then that that is just going to be totally destroyed, whatever it hits. The things that come off from the sides of it are gonna um, make make an even cause even more damage to the, to the animal as well. You're gonna have a lot of vascular and tissue damage and whatnot, and that can be more or less bad depending how fast the bullet's going and the construction of the bullet. But bottom line is, you hit it, it's going to destroy 
some meat exactly where it hits, and then depending on other factors, some more meat, cl- you know, in, in that same area. And it can be a little bit, or it can be a lot. The 300 Win Mag is a very high velocity cartridge. You know, with a 150 grain bullet, you're going to be have a muzzle velocity of like 3,200 feet per second, which is which is pretty darn fast. It'll slow down a little bit, you know, when when it, before it gets to the animal. How much will depend on a couple different factors. But you shoot a say a, like a white-tailed deer at 50 yards with 150 grain bullet from a 300 Win Mag, it'll be a very high velocity impact. Um, now it's going to cause all this damage where it hits. And this is why your shot placement is so important. If it hits in an area like the shoulder itself, like the like the sh- like the muscle on the shoulder where there's a lot of meat, there's going to be the potential for a lot of meat damage there. But if you shift that point of impact back a tiny bit and it hits maybe right behind the shoulder and just goes through the ribs, hits the lungs, it's going to be a whole different story. You're going to have a potential for a very quick kill. You know, deer may run 50 yards, something like that. Uh, and you'll lose some of the rib meat, but there's not nearly as much meat on the ribs as there is on the shoulder of a deer, mm-hmm. and so there's just less potential for loss. If you want to get really bad with it, shoot the deer through both hips, and you'll make a mess of the guts on the inside of it, Ooh, and then shoot yeah. straight through the hams of it, and you know it's it's just the worst possible thing that you could you could imagine. Now, like I said, though, you don't want to get too clever with this. If you hit a tiny bit behind the shoulder, you hit the lungs. You miss the paunch, and it's great. But if you hit too far back, then you you have a have the chance of getting some meat contamination there. And if you hit even farther back, the animal may run farther, and it's harder to find, and you may lose it. Um, there's other meat saving shots that you can go for as well, like shooting the brain and or the neck of the animal. But that's also dicey because it's a smaller target, and especially on something like a deer. It's always moving too. Uh, you yeah. know, I mean, right? A deer, it'll stand there and it'll eat for a second. Then it'll pop its head up and look around, and then put its head back down for a second and eat, and that sort of thing. And so you don't have a big window if you're going to be trying to shoot a deer in the head. And that's an area where, if you do it right, it drops in its tracks. You lose very little meat, but if you screw it up, it's really easy to wound and lose that that deer as well. But that's one of those things that with a um, say like a feral hog, it's much more. It's a much more doable shot with them. It's it's harder than than a heart and lung shot with them, um, but but a, a spine or a brain shot is easier, I think, on a hog. And my ex- we, my experience doing it, we, just because it's not moving around as much. That's that's uh what we we were teaching at the the pig camp is like shot placement for best meat yield on a hog is like the ear, mm-hmm. like aim straight for the ear. And we had we did like a best shot competition for everybody that was bringing their hogs in and kind of evaluate it. And like, um, it, it was very impressive to see someone put like, I think it was like a 60 or 70 yard shot, uh, like literally pig right through the ear. And it was the first time shooting a rifle, you know, outside the range, first time shooting an animal, uh, without, you know, with a rifle. And I was like, wow, like that's, that's literally what we taught you to do. And you did it. And like the pig just dropped. And, uh, but what I found is like I, I was doing the same when we were out. So we went out a couple of days before to get like camp meat and and stuff like that. And uh, man, those pigs are fidgety. Like mm-hmm. talk about deer with like big swing up and down. It's just like a pig is kind of always just like bouncing around, moving, eating, 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 moving, shifting right, shifting left. And I was just like, man, this is very frustrating. And I ended up just taking a shot you know, at the, on the lungs, but, uh, it, it is though, if you can get it, like you mentioned on the pig, I think it's, it's a great shot. Mm-hmm. Now pigs are challenging because they're, um, they got such a giant stomach and digestive tract that mm-hmm. their, their guts go a little bit farther forward into their body than is the case with say a deer. So you could shoot a little bit behind the shoulder on a, on a hog and, and, and still, still get the uh, the lungs and whatnot, but you just have a little bit less margin of error there than you do with a deer or, or, or with other animals. We did we did experience that when some folks brought in and they had made those shots like they definitely they definitely hit some organs inside there and there was a little bit I wouldn't say contamination because we were getting to them pretty quickly and cleaned out and, and hung up but uh you know you could tell like you were dealing with some uh some movements of the internal fluids from the organs inside that body cavity. Mm-hmm. 
And so, like I said, it's, it's one of these things where you're, you're trying to walk a tightrope here and shot placement is important. Um, but as we'll talk about here in a second, you got, I grew up, um, my dad really liked a shoulder shot. I don't mm-hmm. want to mess around with shooting it too far back. I want to break this deer down. I don't want to don't want it to run very far. I'll deal with a little bit of meat loss from from that. And he wasn't wrong in doing that. In the his mindset in in doing that was also informed by the cartridges that he used. He really liked stuff like the the thirty eight fifty five and the forty five seventy and and things like that. Bigger bore, but oftentimes slower cartridges like that. Like I mean, at the forty-five seventy, we're shooting, we're shooting like a three or four hundred gram bullet at like sixteen hundred feet per second. You know, maybe seventeen or eighteen hundred, but not very fast at all. Very big difference from say a three hundred Win Mag, where you're going approaching two, three thousand feet per second in some cases. Meat loss really starts to kick up on an animal when you have impact velocities say above twenty six hundred feet per second. So that is why cartridges like the 3030 and the 4570, say, say throw in like the 35 Remington in there as well, that are all lower velocity cartridges like that. Um, people will joke that you can quote unquote eat right up to the hole with them. And mm-hmm. that's not that much of an exaggeration. You shoot a deer straight through the shoulder with like a 3030 with a 170 grain bullet. That bullet only has a muzzle velocity of 22, maybe 2300 feet per second. And so it's going to. Um, slow down a little bit when it reaches that deer, but it'll still be going really slow and it'll, it'll punch a hole straight through and it'll make a permanent wound cavity. That's big enough to kill it. You make a good shot. It's not going to go very far. And then it's not going to just be throwing, uh, fragments everywhere inside the body and making a giant bloodshot ring around where that bullet hits and, and that sort of thing. And so if you're a guy like my dad, that's hunting at 50 to hundred yards that likes those lower velocity cartridges, you can definitely do that. And, and the consequences for doing so shooting straight through the shoulder, you know, aren't very bad at all. Well, I think that was, so I, I was raised, uh, with 30, 30, I still have it. Marlin 30, 30, arguably probably one of the most popular deer mm-hmm. rifles for a very, Marlin very long time. There you yep, go, man. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, punching through a deer was like nothing. I remember my first, uh, my first deer I shot was like a doe. And same exact scenario, like shot it through the shoulder, broke the right shoulder bone, or not shoulder bone, gosh, it's terrible anatomy, Uh, busted the bone in the the right shoulder, busted the bone in the left shoulder, and then, you know, the traumatic thing for like nine-year-old Justin was like this deer, you know, flailing limbs, ran like 60 yards and jumped a barbed wire fence, but then it fell over and it was, you know, it was done, but that caliber got it done, and I think... You know, in reflecting back, like the meat yield on that was, you know, not as affected by by that shot compared to like, I think about seeing examples of like a higher velocity bullet going through meat and you're just like, holy smokes, like this is a mess. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of, you know, what people will say trauma or damage to the meat and it's just like, well, that that explains a lot of it. So I should have taken a picture of the shoulders of that mule deer when I shot it with the with the 300 Win Mag. It would have made made quite the demonstration on this, and maybe put that right up next to a picture of, of one shot with a 3030 or 4570, something like that. Um, there are some other things that you can do, though. You know, say if you've got, um, uh, say like the like the 3030 uh, is great up close. You know, mm-hmm. you know, 150 yards and in, wonderful cartridge, great for out east. But yeah, you know, a lot of parts of Colorado, you know, other places out west, you know, it's no. it's, it's very challenging uh, to get that close to to an animal, and it's you're pushing the limits with a cartridge like that. So if you wanted to hunt with a 30 out six, a 300, uh, a 308, 270, whatever, one of the things you can do to reduce the chances of really messing up a ton of meat is to use a heavier bullet weight in whatever cartridge you're using. Say a 150 grain bullet in your 270 instead of a 130 or a 180 grain bullet in your 308 instead of 150, that sort of thing. It'll, um, that bullet's probably going to have a little bit higher BC than that, um, lighter bullet, but it's going to have a lower velocity as well. So when when you say BC, sorry, what what do you what, what ballistic do you coefficient so it's gonna okay. be a little bit more aerodynamic uh than that lighter bullet for the same cartridge all other things being e- equal of course um 
but the main thing is it's going to be a little bit lower velocity. So like you go with a 30 out six, um, 150 grain bullet, you're going to be pushing 3000 feet per second with it. You bump up to 180 grain bullet. That's going to be 2,700 feet per second. So that's a 300 foot per second difference there. And so by the time that bullet makes it out to say hundred or 200 yards, it'll have slowed down and, and you drill an animal right through the shoulder. It's not going to be nearly as bad as it would have if it, um, if it was a 150 grain bullet, you know, for instance, something like that. At the same time, a tougher bullet um, is going to do less damage than a lighter bullet. Say, compare uh, like a say a Hornady SST, something like that. It's very light. It's going to expand very well. Lightly constructed. It's going to expand very rapidly. Compare that to say a Nosler Partition or a Nosler Acubond. They'll still expand, but they're not going to go completely to pieces, that sort of thing. That's another thing you can do to reduce meat loss. The other thing that you can do is to use a non-lead bullet, like a Barnes bullet, Hornady CX, uh, Nosler E-tip, something like that. Those bullets are going to retain all their weight, and they're still going to expand really well, but they're going to retain all their weight, so they're going to penetrate really well also. But at the same time, since they're retaining all their weight and they are lead-free, they're not going to be shooting lead fragments off to the sides as it expands. And so, um, they, in my experience, I've, I've killed a lot of animals with, with lead-free bullets. Almost, I've used almost all of them. Um, and I'm trying to, to uh, use the, the, the new uh, Winchester copper bullet this year, and that'll be the last one uh, that I haven't used. But they've all been extremely effective at killing game quickly, without um, having any lead contamination in the animal at all. Some, sometimes, some people that means a lot too. Some people doesn't. You know, I, I, I like it. Like I said, it works really well for me. And at the same time, um, you're not going to have all those other fragments kind of coming off of it to, to add to that bloodshot side of things. The downside of all these things I just told you is that they can, um, you're, you're potentially losing a tiny bit of capability with, the killing ability of the round. You shoot, mm-hmm. um, say, a really light, really fast, uh, really lightly constructed bullet into a white-tailed deer. Uh, with it. It's going to expand very rapidly. You're going to have a lot of energy transfer, do a lot of damage, that sort of thing. Um, but it also can, it has the potential to make a mess. These, you're going to have a little bit less energy transfer for the most part. I'm talking in generalities. There's exceptions to everything. But you slow the bullet down, you have your bullet, tougher bullet and or a lead-free bullet. It's going to have a little bit less energy transfer. And so you might, you know, run the risk of, say, your margin error is a tiny bit less. But if you make good shot placement on it, you're still going to kill the animal quickly and effectively and cleanly. And at the same time, make less of a mess out of it. You know, I, sure. I, I keep having to do all these caveats and all that stuff, but you're kind of walking a tightrope with, with a lot of this stuff. You want to no, no, do no, enough damage to, to kill it quickly, but... You know, what also kills it quickly is shooting it with a cannon and then blows it all to pieces. <laughs> uh, but that's not good for your meat loss at all, is it? <laughs> mm. You know, it's interesting because uh, it just scheduled today. So our next our next podcast episode that we'll be doing is uh, is with some folks from the uh, non-lead hunting, uh, North American non-lead partnership. So we're going to mm-hmm. be talking a lot about the, the sort of non-lead movement, and, and we spun it very uh you know effects on animals and and scavengers and and things like that but also too like from the shot perspective and also from the the food perspective and i don't know there's there's not a lot of research out there on sort of like the contamination piece right or left but uh i, I think it's very interesting that you brought it up and and uh I, i've been trying to do more to sort of look into the world of non-lead uh to see you know and i i think it's you know, this conversation has definitely motivated me to lean in a little more too, as we talk about, uh, reducing meat loss. So mm-hmm. it's good. That's good. That's good thoughts. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and it's one of these things that it's a controversial topic. You mm-hmm. know, the thing that makes me the most upset about things like that, that are going on is, uh, say states like California that mandate you have to use lead free yeah. ammunition. Um, that is a situation where I use it a lot anyway, it's so on practical terms that, you know, if I were living and hunting in California, it probably wouldn't make that much of a difference, but just because you're making me do it, it kind of makes me mad and, uh, and, and makes me want to fight it a little bit. Uh, so I understand people that, that feel that way as well. Um, but like I said, I've got a lot of experience using those bullets and they've worked really well for me 
you know, on everything from tiny antelope in Africa, deer, bear, elk, uh, antelope, even Cape Buffalo and stuff in Africa. I mean, I've shot, you know, from the smallest to some of the biggest animals with it. And it's done really, really well. And it's really, those say like the Barnes bullet is kind of the gold standard for hunting almost all the game in Africa because it works so darn well. There were problems with it. They Sorry, were one that? of the. I say they were one of the first ones that came out of the gate with like a full, mm-hmm. like non lead yeah. lineup. Yeah, definitely. Barnes originally designed their bullets. God, I want to say like in the 1980s, specifically for hunting in Africa. And then he broadened his appeal a little bit and made a little bit less specialized of a bullet, and started appealing to a more um, a general hunting audience and adjusted the design of the bullet as well. And, you know, 30 years ago, there were problems with it, maybe with accuracy and maybe not expanding sometimes and things like that. But they've worked a lot of those kinks out with it. And, you know, like I said, I've shot all different kinds of those bullets in my rifles and they've shot well and they've performed really well on game for me. We had, uh, so it was a number of years ago. So, uh, a guy I hunt a lot with his name's AJ and he's, he's been on the podcast. He's, he's written a ton for us, but he and I were up in the Eastern Sierras in, in California and let's say 2015. Um, and he was, uh, hunting, let's see, 25 out six, I think, um, mm-hmm. with, uh, Barnes, uh, cartridges and we were out there hunting mule deer very like it's an x zone tag it takes a few points to draw drew it like he made probably 150 200 yard shot on this mule deer we both saw it we saw the impact we saw it fall we saw it get back up it turned broadside i saw like the exit wound and then it like kind of started up the side of this mountain and i had like framed out um framed out uh what was where we thought the deer was going to kind of come out of the brush and all that never never appeared and we went over and tried to track it and um very interesting uh no no blood splatter no hair no no meat particles nothing uh it's as though the mountain like opened up and swallowed this deer um yeah so we we went and had a conversation so uh, I think it was a couple weeks later we traveled up to Wyoming and we passed uh, we were going to be passing through the Barnes factory like on our way like along the highway and so he reached out because in that we had found uh, there was a mismatched bullet in the box uh, of the shells that he had and so we reached out to those folks and and um, we're like hey uh, there's a mismatch for this this bullet, like it was like a 308 bullet and is 25 out six or like some, oh my goodness. some, Jeez. yeah, some like kind of bad mistake. And they some were like, like oh obvious my. mistake too. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, oh my gosh, like we need the lot number. Where'd you buy it? Like all this stuff. So it turned into a big conversation. They're very, very thorough, but we stopped by up there and like, we were kind of telling the story and they're like, yeah, we, we've been really working on that particular caliber to, you know, improve, make improvements to it. And, uh, it was just very interesting to kind of understand their story and like the R and D aspect of it and, and hearing some examples, but, um, not to say that copper copper's the be all end all. Cause it certainly has its challenges as, as you mentioned, as far as like energy transfer and things like that. So, uh, it's just one example that comes to mind, uh, from my experiences, but, uh, definitely some benefits to it too. Yeah, and definitely. You know, the it, you know, and those are the downsides of it, right? The bullet uh, tends to need a little bit more velocity to expand um, mm-hmm. properly than, say, like a real soft lead core bullet. And so there are circumstances where you can, uh, and I've actually this has never happened to me, but I've known guys this has happened to, where they're out hunting, um, get a good shot on an animal, make a really good hit on it. And, um, but it's kind of right at say like what their max effective range was, say, you know, four or 500 yards, something like that. So it's a long ish shot, but they make a good shot and the bullet just kind of pencils right through and doesn't expand because it wasn't going fast enough to really expand well. Mm -hmm. Whereas you, if that animal had been 50 yards closer, you know, that, that velocity might've been high enough where it would have expanded a little bit better and might've done a little bit more damage. I don't know that I've known anyone that's lost an animal, uh, to have that uh, happening, but you know, I've known guys that it was a longer tracking job, or they had to shoot it again when they ne- uh, wouldn't have probably had to do that otherwise. Things like that. Sure, sure. So um, 
let's shift gears a little bit because unfortunately we're running out of time. Uh, I do want to talk a little bit about your your ebook that you put together. So the Insider's Guide to Selecting the Best Caliber for Hunting Almost Anything. So uh, could you kind of like paint the picture, what that looked like, without uh, giving too many details? Because I want folks to go over to your website and 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 get that book. Definitely right. So these conversations that I'm having with you, I have, I get. People want to hear about it on the podcast. People email me, oh, I'm starting starting hunting. What caliber should I get? Mm-hmm. Well, the answer is, well, it depends, right? Mm-hmm. What, what what are you hunting? Where are you hunting? What is your experience? You know, what you know, all, of, all of this sort of thing. So that ebook is a guide to, say, like a, a good framework for hunting almost anything from birds and small game all the way up to Cape Buffalo and everything in between. These are the most popular and the most effective cartridges for uh, these different hunting situations. These are the pros and cons of them. These are um, some of the most effective loads that I recommend for these cartridges for hunting these animals. And uh, that's kind of just like a good place to get started um, with a lot of this stuff. And, you know, a lot of the, I won't go into any any more detail on that and and to what is exactly in it. You'll have to check out the ebook, which is free um, to to learn more about it. But that kind of gets you started down the path of, okay, now that I now that you're thinking about that, now you know you, we can maybe talk more in detail about specific rifles and the specific hunting situations and things like that to really get you dialed in because this is one of those things like we, we even talked about on the podcast. What worked, what works great for me hunting white-tailed deer in East Texas is very different from what I would consider ideal for hunting elk in Arizona. Sure, and there there are things that will work well for both of those things, but things that work great for one of them, there's going to be downsides to using on the other one potentially, depending on what it is. And so, if you get a good mismatch on that stuff, taking a thirty thirty on your elk hunt, or taking <laughs> a three hundred wind mag and shooting a white tailed deer with it at fifty yards, you can run into problems with either ruining a, ruining a ton of meat on the animal, or uh, missing it, or wounding it, losing it, that sort of thing. No, that's fair. So that's good. Well, thanks for providing that. I actually just uh, just signed up for it, so I'm um, excited uh, to give it a read and, and dive in a little bit. Um, where can folks go? What's uh, your your website there? What's the best way for people to get access to your resources and uh, subscribe to the podcast and, and connect with you maybe on social media? Yep, so go to thebiggamehuntingblog.com. I'll take you to the homepage of my blog. You can sign up there to get the free ebook. And there's also a tab at the top of the page you can click to go to the podcast. My podcast is The Big Game Hunting Podcast, just like the blog, Big Game Hunting Blog, Big Game Hunting Podcast. Um, I'm on all the normal podcast uh, places as well, uh, but you can get, get to me through the blog. Sign up for the ebook. When you sign up for the ebook, that'll also put you on my email list. I send out an email every weekday talking about interesting hunting stories, lessons I've learned along the years that are uh, very engaging and entertaining, that sort of thing. Um, and if you don't like, you can always unsubscri- un- unsubscribe if you want. Uh, but I get a lot of compliments on people that find that stuff very entertaining. Um, you, like I said, so check it out. TheBigGameHuntingBlog.com. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, are you on social media, Instagram, Facebook, anywhere? Yeah, definitely. Right. So I'm on Facebook at The Big Game Hunting Blog. Uh, Instagram, I'm um, at The Big Game Hunter underscore. Got it. Sweet. Um, well, I definitely encourage everybody to go connect with uh, with John on those those locations there. Subscribe to the, the ebook or get the ebook, which will let you subscribe to the email list. Uh, excited to see a lot of useful information come through. Um, outside of that, so since we're kind of winding down, I like to give everybody sort of a, a moment for a last thought, concept, idea, question, wh- whatever you got on your mind uh, to share with the audience. So please please fire away. If not, no big deal. Sure. So the big thing to keep in mind when you're trying to sur- to to save meat on an animal is the first thing you want to do is quickly and cleanly kill that animal. So like I said, don't try and get too clever with your shot placement or anything like that. If it's a situation where it's a little bit dicey, maybe you pass on the shot or maybe you just take the more sure shot through, through the shoulder. If that's what you got to do, say if it's a quartering to you shot, something like that, and just deal with a little bit more meat loss and, 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 um, 
but you know, quickly and cleanly kill that animal so you're not mm-hmm. making a mess out of it, having to find it or lose it or or things like that. But um, if you want to try and really find fine tooth fine tune things, try and aim for a shot that misses the shoulder but still hits the vitals, say like on a quartering shot, maybe a little bit behind the shoulder, or a little bit in front of the shoulder, depending on the angle. Higher bullet weights, or heavier bullet weights, lower velocities, and uh, tougher bullets, and potentially lead-free bullets are all kind of a combination that you can use to stack the deck a little bit uh, more in favor of, uh, of that outcome. Awesome. Man, what a what a multitude of information. I appreciate you sharing all of it with us. Uh I think it's it lets me be a little better prepared uh as I, I start trying to fine tune uh some hunting plans this year and even before I head out to the range and start dialing in a little bit and thinking about uh running shots through my mind and shot placement and just like walking through everywhere. I think talking about sort of calibers and uh, velocity and all those those other factors uh, are going to play in a lot because you even got me thinking when you were talking about, a, you know, bullet weight, uh, like a 150 versus 165 as far as like what I'm using. And I'm like, huh, so that's going to that's gonna make a difference. Um, totally different idea and concept in my head than what I thought it was. So uh, thanks for <laughs> confirming that. Um no, it's it's really useful, and I, I hope that everybody out there uh, found this uh, conversation really useful. I know a ton of great information, so as I encourage you, please go connect with John on all those those various mediums, and uh, you know look look forward to hearing feedback from everybody. If you've got any good stories as a result from this, you know maybe you changed caliber, maybe you changed. Uh, you know, ammunition, anything like that. Uh, love to hear that feedback. Please feel free to share it with us. Uh, and thanks everybody for listening. Uh, all these show notes will include the links to some of the details we talked about, um, access to John's website, uh, his podcast, all that stuff. We'll put it in the show notes there. And then after you give him a follow over on social media, make sure you're following Harvest of Nature so you can stay on top of everything that we got going on there. Tons and tons of happening happenings this summer. And uh, we want to make sure you're included in that. So, uh, And then lastly, whatever podcast platform you're listening to, please punch that five-star button. Uh, leave us a review. Tell us what we're doing wrong or, you know, tell us what we're doing right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night.